Welcome back. Wednesday, May 26th, as we head into our third hour, it's a delight to uh, have Brandon Weikert uh, with us. We usually have him on uh, Mondays, but in that I was out on Monday. In that I was out. It's a weird sentence. On Monday, he has graciously agreed to join us, especially with so much in his wheelhouse going on in the news. Brandon uh, is the author of Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower. He's also a... um, he also runs the uh, the website. He is the the uh, the uh, producer of the website, the Weikert Report. W e i c h e r t. The Weikert Report dot com is his website. Brandon, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm loving the uh, the weekday shuffle we're doing. Little weekday shuffle. You're also a columnist for a newspaper, and you want to tell us what that newspaper is? Yeah, I write for the Asia Times, and I'm also occasionally. Uh, contributor to the Washington Times op-ed, as well as Real Clear Politics. Yeah, you did something in RCP I want to talk about. Uh, let me start with the Asia Times for a yeah. moment. Uh, it's weird who can start a foreign policy discussion anew, but it almost seems like those who think about Asia have been given um, impetus by the uh, foreign policy expert known as John Cena, C-E-N-A. <laughs> I don't know if you've read his latest white paper. Hard to believe he's a former Marine. Yeah. Well, evidently a fellow at the CFR. I think he holds the uh, Warren, uh, the, uh, the yeah, yeah, the the, the Warren chair at, at the Council on Foreign Relations, the Christopher Warren chair. But uh, there's a few of us on Twitter who uh, are starting doing our best to create a meme called Taiwan is a country. I'd love your thoughts on this. John Cena in Chinese broadcasts, in Mandarin Chinese, which he does know how to speak, broadcasts to the world his apologies, mostly broadcasting to China his apologies, for saying, (laughs) for the lay's majesty, Brandon, of saying Taiwan is a country. Um, Talk to me about that. Taiwan is a country. That's my view. But but, but I'm not alone. You know, if you go to the CIA.gov World Fact Book on Countries. Right. Taiwan is there. It's a country. Yeah. It's got a flag. Now, the Taiwanese yeah. certainly think overwhelmingly yeah. that they're a country. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think that's the key understanding that we have to have is that until probably the 1980s and 90s, um, there was still a large component of Taiwanese who still viewed themselves as not only Chinese, but that their government was the actual legitimate government of China. If you remember, Taiwan was founded by Chiang Kai-shek and the Kuomintang Party, which was the nationalists that were fighting Mao Zedong's communists in the Chinese Civil War, Mao won, and the nationalists, rather than surrender, ended up fleeing across the Taiwan Strait and ended up in in what was once known as Formosa and is now today Taiwan. And for many years, the people on Taiwan considered their government still the only legitimate government of China. That has changed in the last 20 years. And the Taiwanese said, hey, look, we don't want to be China. Uh, We want to be our own people. We've basically been our own people. We don't consider ourselves Chinese. It's the Chinese, ironically, who consider Taiwan China. Right. Uh, uh, Not a country. Not a country. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. And John Cena, apparently. Yeah. And most of Hollywood. Yeah. I think that's very key. You know, I think it's a great uh, example of where... Uh, elite culture uh, is, and it is very much in the back pocket of China. Uh, and John Cena, as I said, a former Marine, a man who's very much associated with sort of 
you know, WWE kind of conservative, you know, macho kind. Everybody assumes that as someone like John Cena is going to be like this big conservative, you know, icon. He's not. He turns out to be just another shill for the Chinese Communist Party. Um, and I think it's a very cynical calculation on his part, like most of the movie studios. That's why Richard Gere can't find work because right. he's so pro-Tibet. Right. Um, we've talked about that yep. before. Yep. Um, Richard Gere, who is no Republican, right. no hawk, right. but he, he thinks Tibet He just, he just happens to think the Dalai Lama got a raw deal. Right, and of yeah. course he did. Yeah, of course. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, he got so, kicked and, out of his country. Know, yeah. Right, and so you know, you, you, you are looking at the situation... You know, honestly, you can't do that if you're taking in the big bucks from Hollywood. If you want to be a player in Hollywood today, it's the international press. It's the international uh, conglomerates who really control the the purse strings now in Hollywood. And um, it's China that's really the big player now in Hollywood. Uh, Hollywood firms care more, or entertainment firms care more about what the Chinese box office does increasingly than what domestic you know, American box offices do, and it shows in the kinds of movies they produce and the kinds of stars they elevate and the kinds of things their celebrities like John Cena goes out of their way to apologize for. It would be maybe fun, maybe, to put a list together. You and I could do this on a weekend if we thought well of it. Yeah. Uh, to Of all the... Athletic, influencer, uh, entertainment people over the last 10 years have said something obsequious uh, like this and necessarily throat-saving uh, about China. It might just be fun to do that, but it wouldn't be hard yeah. uh, to show just how much influence they have here. Uh, you're right about Hollywood. Uh, was it Red Dawn? Uh, what, what what was the movie? Doctor Strange. They had a Tibetan character and they had to change it in deference to the uh, to the Chinese. The Chinese will dictate yeah. scripts in Hollywood. Well, and furthermore, the Iron Man three, uh, in order to be released right. in China, right. they had to add a Chinese character. That's right, That's right. Uh, for the Chinese version, and the, and the, you know Marvel is is. A especially notorious for basically kowtowing uh, to Chinese uh, censors mm-hmm. in order to make sure their films are eminently you know, featured there in China. It's a huge market share. It's the same reason for why American manufacturing firms offshore throughout the 70s all the way through to today, offshore from the American Midwest into middle China. It's the same reason why... Uh, American tech firms would rather do business with the Chinese People's Liberation Army rather than our own Pentagon. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a huge, it's a billion people. All of them are highly industrious. Many of them are, you know, people who are on the up and up in terms of their, their economic value, what they can contribute, intellectually savvy people. And so on the one hand, the, 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 the American firms are saying we want to tap into that before our rivals can. And on the other hand, it's also a lot of these people, particularly in Hollywood, it's very easy for them to trash America and elevate a communist Oh, you bet. Oh, you bet. They've been doing it for yeah. decades. Yes. You now know? they're just doing it for more money. Oh, uh, more money. That, that's right. I think Hollywood made something like $3 billion in China last year. And it's interesting to me that if they're going to have a movie aired in China – 
they they have to they have to allow Chinese censors access to the script ahead of time before it's made so that they know they'll get played in China. They've had to right. submit scripts which the Chinese government has altered has altered on every movie from Bohemian Rhapsody to right. uh, as you mentioned uh, Iron Man uh, Iron Man th- uh, Iron Man 3 to Skyfall they have the Chinese censors have put their hands into the scripts of the all Red these. Dawn remake. The Red Dawn remake. Yes, the yes. original of course. plan was of course. to have the Chinese in exactly, and then in order to get it produced, they had to go in post production and make it North Korea. Exactly Why? right. I mean, the North Koreans are ever going to be able to do anything to us. I mean, come on. No, but what's interesting about it is how, at the same time, these Hollywood elites will lecture us about how autonomous and um, not just autonomous, how important the artist's um, untrammeled right to express his right. or her truth is. Right. And um, and and how, you know, things like censorship and blacklists were anathema to the very concept right. of art. Only if it's the United right. States, it turns out. If it's China, we're OK with it. Right. Well, I mean, let's face it, ideologically, they're much closer to with the, the politics of China, uh, centralization and, let's, you know, autocratic groupthink and, and the like than they are to, you know, the ideas of the American founding. To them, the American founding was a mistake. The mm-hmm. ideas undergirding it was a mistake. They were, well, slaveholders. They were people who, and this is how they talk among them in the liberal set. So it's really not... When you think about it objectively, it really makes sense that they would be okay condoning the Chinese regime while at the same time trashing our own. Bear with me, Brandon. Uh, We didn't even get to what we wanted to yet. Uh, What I wanted to yet, we got to talk about the virology lab, too. But uh, sit sit tight. Uh, We'll be right back. I appreciate your uh, joining us on this Wednesday. I'm Seth Liebson. Happy to do it. You bet. Thank you, Brandon. I'm Seth Liebson. He's Brandon Weikert. Uh, among other things, publisher of the Weikert Report and, of course, Winning Space, the book Winning Space from last year, How America Remains a Superpower. Be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Brandon Weikert is our guest. He is the author of Winning Space and the uh, publisher of the Weikert Report, theweikertreport.com. We're just talking about China's uh, reach <clears throat> uh, with um, with regard to entertainment and how you never know what's going to start an interesting conversation. Uh, I suppose we started an interesting conversation some years ago about race because some Harvard professor lost his keys. You never know what small thing can become a big thing, right? <laughs> Uh, you never John Cena's statement uh, apologizing to China and that Taiwan is not a country. Boy, it seems awfully easy these days, Brandon, to tell people that their countries don't exist or shouldn't. Yeah. Taiwan, yeah. Israel. Israel. Yeah. It's really interesting. Even America. Even, Even America. America. Tibet. Country, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Tibet. Yeah. Um, Brandon, that does get us to the gorilla. Is it the gorilla or the elephant in the room? I always get that wrong. <laughs> Do you know? I don't know. What would <laughs> maybe you, it's the, uh, What would be less good paddling. in your living room? Maybe it's, maybe it's the paddling in your room. No, what would be less good? I think a gorilla is less good. <laughs> An elephant can be docile, you know, can be. Yeah. Brandon, you uh 
you've been talking about this for an awfully long time, and I don't know if it yep. feels good that the rest of the world is catching up and the price for being right is appearing to be wrong at the time, or if it's embittering that these people think of us as knuckle-draggers and have one criteria for journalistic ethics, which was if Trump agrees with it, it's ipso facto wrong. Talk to me, baby. It, it is revolting. As you know, I was myself, Steve Mosher, Joshua Phillips from the Epic Times, uh, Gordon G. Chang, which you know is a very good friend of mine, uh, and I and Bill Gertz, Bill Gertz of the Washington. Everyone Times, you would want, everyone you would want when it comes to China yeah. policy. Yeah, yeah, we were all in our own little fiefdoms saying the same thing, and um, I, in February of 2020, right, right before the lockdowns went into effect, was asked to come to a major Air Force base, uh, and I, I did. And they wanted one of the beats I cover is biotech development in China. And uh, I'm married to a geneticist who actually worked at NIH for Fauci and Collins as well. Uh, actually conducted some of the studies on gain-of-function research. And so I knew what was going on. And so I, I flew out and I briefed them. And um, I found out a week later I was barred from ever stepping foot on that base again. Isn't that something? And, I want, I, I want and, people to let that soak in. You were barred from stepping foot on that base again. And I was then told by a friend of mine who was in Navy intelligence that, quote, we all know the truth, but we are not allowed to talk about it. And the implication was anybody who does talk about it out of turn is going to get gutted. Um, And I tried to get the many publications that I used to write for and I still write for to publish what I knew, and nobody would. I had to publish it at my website, yep. which is fine. Yep. Um, and I went on John Bachelor, went on your show, went on several shows that would listen to me, and I talked about what I knew. Um, and what I basically found was that we were probably bioattacked. Mm-hmm. But if we do this way, we will probably never be able to know for sure whether it came from a lab. I suspect it did. Um, in fact, I'm like 90% certain it did. And I think that when China said, can I, can hey, I imitate? Do you know who Adam Carolla is? Yeah. Podcast. Can I just imitate him for a second? Yeah. We have a uh, a disease here, a virus <laughs> that uh, the narrative was some guy in a in a market ate ate an animal no one has ever heard of, and all of a sudden five hundred thousand Americans are dead, or. <laughs> Or we could walk from that wet market, oh, I don't know, a mile, where there is the most famous lab in the world that works on exactly these kinds of things and say, nah, not that. Well, that's right. And, Seth, let me go one further. What is, what is China's chief weakness? It's food. They can't feed their people. They need imports to feed their people. Starvation has always historically been, a, been the downfall of Chinese dynasties. And this is something Xi Jinping, the current ruler of China, is keenly aware of. What did Donald Trump do from almost the first day he stepped foot into office? He placed very onerous tariffs on American exports of soybeans and other foodstuffs coming out of America into China. Literally the stuff of life for China. Now, to Trump, he was just playing hardball to get a better deal. But I think because Xi Jinping and the communists ruling China 
with their obsession with what the Israelis call gray zone operations, that is, the space between peace and war, mm. uh, I think that they interpreted that as, a, as an act of war. And I think that they then decided to pivot and figure out how they can remove the political obstacle that was Donald Trump's presidency. And boy, did they figure out a doozy. And if you think about the timing, what happened? Well, in November 2019 was when the first reports, and actually you can go back farther to February 2019, and in my New English Review long-form essay called China's Biotech Threat, you can mm. just type in on Google, Brandon Weicker New English Review. It's, it's, they have a list of them. It's the one that was published in June of 2020. Okay. Uh, and I talked about this, and I said, if you look at the timing, they agreed, after years of fighting Trump, they agreed to a deal with Trump on the food tariff issue, soybeans and whatnot. And it was very bad for China. They lost the trade war with Trump. This is something the American media never told you. But a month or two later, COVID-19 broke out from China. The Chinese regime did nothing to stop the spread. In fact, they allowed 5 million people to leave Wuhan, China, and travel around the world, 700,000 of which ended up in the United States throughout the three months before they admitted that this thing was going on. Let, 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 me, let, me, let me pause on that for yeah. a second to so make sure I, I have understood this fact pattern right. This is what I, I think I've been saying, too. I, it's a lot of history that transpires in a year, and things get changed, obviously. Yeah. All I have That's to do right. is tell you about masks for anyone to understand that, <laughs> right? <laughs> China locks down inter-China Yes. Travel. But they still allow international right, travel. Right, right. They let Chinese export and colonize this outside of China. They did not let people in Wuhan travel to Beijing. Or to Shanghai. Or Shanghai, right. Hong Kong, right. much as they hated Hong Kong. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. And, and this was all part of a... So, so the Chinese, you see, the Chinese are already at war with us. And they've been at war with us for at least eight years. And they view it as fighting us in the gray zone the space between the wars, without actually forcing us to go full-on military, because they know they can't beat us in a fair fight. So they're trying to use what's known as CMP, Comprehensive National Power, to sap and stymie the Americans in every other venue except in the military realm. Hold that thought. Hold that thought. In every venue except military. Hold that thought, Brandon, because this this is what we're talking about. We're talking about... China came about through a cultural revolution. They can do a cultural war. I'm Seth Leibson. He's Brandon Weikert. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Delighted to have Brandon Weikert with us, author of Winning space. Brandon, talking about China right before the break, you were talking about all but military, right? Uh, that phrase, right. all but military, is our engagement, right. our gray area with China. Talk about that. It may not be so gray in the all but military, huh? Yeah, yeah. So basically, the, the, the Chinese know in a fair fight they can't take the American military. Now, if we have to fight them closer to their shores, which we probably would, China's going to employ counter space weapons. We've spoken about this before. They're going to employ cyber attacks, EMP possibly, you know, electromagnetic degradation attacks, things to try to prevent us from projecting power fully into their kind of contested areas of the world. But even then, it's not a guarantee they can win. 
So what they want to do is basically hollow us out. So if you look at the last 30 or 40 years, so-called free trade, really what it was was an economic, a sustained economic raid on the United States by the Chinese to gut us of our most uh, prodigious industries, initially with manufacturing, uh, but then they've now moved up from manufacturing to the high-tech sector. Uh, they now are trying to and are, in many cases, successfully competing with us uh, for the all-powerful white-collar jobs. It isn't just blue-collar anymore. Um, and uh, they are now even starting to become self-sufficient in terms of educating, starting to educate their young people at home rather than sending them all around the country, all around the world to the West to learn at our feet. Now that first generation of Chinese that in the 80s and 90s came to America and Europe to learn from us, they've gone back home, and they're now educating the next generation. So you actually see, and David Goldman talks about this a lot, you actually see a, a somewhat decline in the number of Chinese students coming to the United States and Europe to study STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math. What's happening is a lot of them are staying closer to home uh, because they now have the indigenous capabilities. So they're building out. They first imitate in order to cut down on R&D costs and whatnot, costs in general. And once they catch up through imitation with the Americans, they then start to innovate and leapfrog the Americans. And they've been you know, doing this by basically like a parasite, sucking us dry of our innovation, of our wealth, of our creativity, and transplanting it in China. Uh, but when you look at the biotech sector in particular, uh, and I recommend your audience check out the New English Review, that I, the, the article I wrote a year ago, because it, it really gets into the biotech development. Give the title so again, please. Give me that title. It, uh, it, uh, China's growing biotech threat, Great. I believe. Okay. Um, and um, basically, uh, if you look at what they've been doing, you look at a company like Sinogene, which is uh, basically cloning animals in the hopes of being able to clone human beings by 2040. Now, don't scoff at it, because this is something they're doing. You look at the board of Sinogene, it's a who's who's compendium of American pharmaceutical executives. When you look at things like uh, the Wuhan lab, we know that NIH uh, and the University of North Carolina, uh, I believe Durham, was at one point partnered to do uh, uh, coronavirus experimentation, gain-of-function tests, with labs in Wuhan. Uh, why? As one uh, geneticist from Stanford lectured me on Twitter, because it's cheaper uh, and easier to do uh, these kinds of studies in China. The implication was that they have lower ethical standards, and so therefore it's easier to do this kind of experimental R&D with the human genome and with viral research. Of course, they, didn't, they never anticipate that the Chinese military will be the first to reap the rewards from any of this research. It won't be uh, innocent people benefiting from medical research first. It'll be the Chinese military getting their hands on potentially weaponized uh, Western science, which is exactly what they did. Um, and so you see this, this pattern playing out where China is trying to compete with the Americans in every field, inevitably, so that they can uh, tip the balance of power through comprehensive national power, uh, tip the balance of global power in their favor by 2049, the 100th year anniversary of the founding of the Chinese Communist Party, uh, when they defeated the Chinese nationalists uh, in 1949. Uh, and by that point, they seek to have basically economic, cultural, political, 
social dominance, diplomatic dominance, technological dominance, so that trade dominance, so that they can then combine all of those things comprehensively and finally create the military uh, advantage that they need to pummel us into position into into our secondary place, and hopefully, in their eyes, to have us so cowed and weakened that we'll just surrender to them because we're so decadent and pathetic. Uh, and that is that is the plan. That is the plot. And hold I that think, thought. Let, yeah, hold. Yeah. Let me pick up on that plan and plot when we come right back. We'll be right back with Brandon Phillips. We'll be t- uh, <laughs> Brandon, Brandon Weicker. We'll be right back with Brandon Weicker and taking your calls. If you're thinking about going solar and saying goodbye to those uh, utility power bills, I want you to think about my friend Solar Sandy. It's so important when going solar, you do it the right way, and Solar Sandy is the right way. She has the formula. She wants to put more of your hard-earned money back in your pocket. So if you sign up now with Solar Sandy, she will pay your power bills for one year and your solar panel payments for a year, and you'll receive a $1,000 bonus at signing. That's right. A $1,000 signing bonus, no power bills, and no solar panel payments for a whole year. Go to AskSolarSandy.com. Read the testimonials about her. They're amazing. She's a friend, and she brought integrity to solar in Arizona. To get started, go to AskSolarSandy.com or call her at 623-850-8229. That's 623-850-8229. 229 or com. Brandon Weikert, uh, foreign policy expert, publisher of the Weikert Report, author of Winning Space, is our is our guest. He's a he's an expert on among other things China. And um, Brandon, you were you were giving us a great walkthrough, a great tour down the whole potentiality of this coming out of the the, the lab in Wuhan, and this lab leak theory or whatever we want to call it. It's amazing how in the past five days it's of a sudden become credible to ask the questions you were asking over a year ago and being shut down for, isn't it? And and I know part of the reason why I was being shut down, a large part, is because Trump got into it and said he agreed and they called it the China virus. And and, uh, there was basically, I mean, I'm not going to, I don't want to drop names. So, there's some very prominent Washington Post journalist who I am friendly with. Um, when I asked him, I said, how are you able to do the reporting you've been doing on, you know, this issue? And they said, uh, well, part of it is Trump's not in office anymore. Yeah. Sort of the, the field has been cleared. Yeah. And I just was floored. Yeah. And, you know, like because Trump said it, orange man bad, we couldn't have a reasonable discourse. I am but there are aftershocks, Brandon, and you may not be uh, old enough to understand the way the world works, you see. <laughs> uh, it's possible. There is a woman named Apurva Mandavili who covers COVID for the New York Times. That's her job. And she tweeted today exactly what I'm going to read you, okay? Yeah. My producer, Bill is very skilled at these things, and he will hear it and say what took her so long. You ready? Let me quote. Someday we will stop talking about the lab leak theory and maybe even admit its racist roots, but alas, today is not that day. Yeah. 
This is the New York Times reporter on COVID saying, let's not investigate or chase this down. Have you ever heard of a reporter saying such a thing? But, of course, it's racist. Well, well, yes, I've heard dozens (laughs) of reporters from major publications say as much over the last year. How about the issue that I cover most with, you know, Space Force? Well, now that Trump is out of office, Everybody can say how great we, how much we needed Space yeah, Force right. because, you know, now Biden's in control of it. Uh, and, and that's the dirty little secret. As long as Trump isn't mentioned, even if it's something he created, um, you know, as long as you don't mention it, that it's Trump, it might, you know, it might end up still working out for the country because then Biden can take credit for it. Because then it's okay to talk about. And that's exactly what happened with COVID. I will tell you what, um, what was it? Last, probably August, I flew to D.C., was briefing uh, another group of, of intelligence people looking for outside information that they may have, may have missed. And um, one of the gentlemen in the audience was a Marine Corps intelligence officer. Um, and he, the first, when I was talking about this, uh, what I was just telling you, uh, he asked me, he said, well, he said, he goes, so you're saying it was a biological Pearl Harbor? I said, it's more than possible. I said, yes. And he said, well, that's what we, this is all off the record. Yep. He said, that's what, that's what we've assessed as likely as well. Uh-huh. And I was like, well, hallelujah, at least there's someone. You know, the Marines got it right. Okay, well. Um, but, you know, the, the, the issue is that for whatever reason, um, this thing happened, I think it was some, I think it was an attack. Uh, on us, I think it was related to the the food tariffs that we put on agricultural products going into China from here in the States. And I think that it was a brilliant and deft move by China. There's a mastery of 21st century postmodern warfare. They're beating us, uh, and uh, we're still playing by 20th century rules in a very 21st century world. Uh, and because we are still unable to fully acknowledge what happened, we will. It will happen again. The Chinese have learned they can they can beat us uh, using these methods, and they will try it again over another issue. It will happen, and it may be worse this time uh, than even COVID. And um, you know, basically, they can set the conditions that would allow us to destroy ourselves. And if you look at the economic fallout, if you look at the hyperinflation that we are likely slated for. Uh, if you look at all of the economic damage that has been imposed upon this country, which, of course, the economy is the great strength of America, if you look at all of the damage that has been done, if you look at the way that it upended the political order, December 2019, I sent my book to the publisher of Winning Space, and it I concluded that basically Trump was going to win handily re-election. And if it had been held, the election before COVID, yes, I think Trump would have won handily. Uh, but because COVID hit and he responded the way he did, that set people off, uh, set the half the country against him, set the media against him, brought out some of the worst aspects of his personality, at least in the eyes of many voters, he lost. And so you look at the Chinese attack, it was probably one of the most effective uh, surprise attacks on this country <coughs> in history, and we're still trying to figure out what happened. Even, not- even, if, even if one didn't want to say it was necessarily volitionally inspired attack against us, one certainly could make the case easily, could they not, that once China knew what had happened, their actions.
actions were nothing short of yes. an exactly exactly Fair right. Enough. Brandon, I've as much of the Washington Times. Well, you gave us a great makeup session here, Brandon, and I just want to thank, <laughs> thank you, you for it and your patience. We'll catch up with you. I guess it won't be Monday again because we have another holiday, but we'll figure out a I'm make also good. Traveling. Yeah, I'm good. Also traveling. We'll do a make good yeah. next week, sir. Okay. God bless right. you. Brandon Weikert, author of Winning Space, The Weikert Report, W-E-I-C-H-E-R-T. Be right back. Thank you. Uh, welcome back. If you uh, didn't get a chance, Steve, Jeff, uh, others, uh, to uh, get on today, please do call back tomorrow. We'll get you right on. I apologize. We ran out of time. Many of you asked if I could uh, repeat that uh, that tricolon I gave out in my monologue from Professor Kevin Porteous about our immigration problem. Happy to do so. Let me close the show with what he says after the last several days where we've been focused on the crisis at the border. America's immigration problem is not with immigrants but with Americans. In order for the founders' policies to be intelligible and effective, America must return to the founders' principles of justice. If America is not based on those principles, then it is like the other nations, and the idea of America as an asylum because becomes muddled, incoherent. If we accept feudal obligation and its modern incarnation, birthright citizenship, then the ideas of government by consent and the right to emigrate become obscured. If we forget that consent is reciprocal and that the purpose of government is to protect the inalienable natural rights of its citizens, then the right and duty to restrict immigration and naturalization becomes nothing an expression outside of an expression of racism and nativism. If we forget our heritage as a refuse for the virtuous and oppressed of the world, then we lose a significant part of what makes America exceptional. But if we deny all these things, then the very idea of assimilation becomes incomprehensible. Go read what Hamilton told Jefferson about immigration and how we have the right to keep our country here while welcoming others by our terms, not theirs. God bless you all. Until tomorrow, I'm Seth Leibson, and class is dismissed.